everyone and welcome back to Motherkind, the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of motherhood and life with more clarity and confidence. Thank you to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and feel inspired. If you love the podcast, do me a favor and hit subscribe. It makes a way bigger difference than you probably realize. So thank you. So through August, I have a break from recording new episodes to reset and reconnect with my family, but we re-released the most downloaded episodes from the past six months. And this week is with the amazing nutritionist, Rhiannon Lambert. So if you've ever felt stressed out by feeding either yourself or your children and who hasn't, then this is the episode for you. Before we get into the episode, I quickly want to tell you I'm so excited because my next round of group coaching starts on the 14th of September. So if you love the podcast and you want to dive deeper with me, this is the time to do it. If you're feeling disconnected from yourself and after the summer break, I know I am. If you're in need of some clarity and some confidence to move forward in a new direction with renewed energy and focus, I want to support you. I want to help you do that. We start on the 14th of September. It's eight weeks. It's me leading 10 other amazing mothers from our Motherkind community. I bring my transformational coaching toolkit to help you get unstuck. And we cover so much, including boundaries, values, clarity, and beliefs. So head to my website, motherkind.co for more information. And here is the episode. Welcome to the podcast, lovely. I'm so excited to chat to you. It's just a joy to connect. I know. I've been a fan of your podcast for so long since, you know, I discovered I was pregnant with my son. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. We were just sharing, weren't we? You're having one of those mornings. I've Mm. got a lot going on in the background. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's harder than I anticipated. You can't really prepare, can you, for the juggle, the motherhood work-life balance juggle. It's hard for you to get yourself together, I think, most days when your priority, of course, is looking after your little ones. So, but another day, all I know is that when I go to bed at night, I'll wake up and it's a new day tomorrow. And that's kind of how I approach these things. I'm like, get through the day. It will be fine. Enjoy the chance. It's like our conversation is going to be a great start for me today. So yeah, thanks for that. (laughs) You're very welcome. Well, it's definitely something that I want to talk to you about because you've got a new book coming out, which looks mega. I mean, it's like this thick. And I'm wondering, did you write that post Zachary and tell us about that process? Because I am starting to think about book, but I'm thinking, how am I going to make this happen? So I need to hear a bit from you about that. (laughs) How did it happen? That's the question. Yeah. Zachary was around six months old when I was approached with the idea peak pandemic. And I only really got into the nitty gritty back and forth, back and forth and agreed to do it when he was around eight, nine months old, I think. It's probably the hardest thing I've done in my entire life because you didn't have childcare in the pandemic. You didn't have any help. So it's so imperative that I tried to work on nap schedules and get the time in like the solid two hours in the afternoon if I was lucky on those days. But of course, it doesn't work like that. I'm sat in a dark room with white noise sometimes for two hours back then. So at 11 months old, I managed to get a nanny two days a week, which was life-changing from having no childcare to doing those two days a week. And that's how I wrote the book. Every evening when he went to bed, every nap time and in those two days a week. But I'm really proud of it. 
I still can't believe it. I look at it. It's an encyclopedia of nutrition, essentially, that breaks everything down in a Q&A format. So it's really easy to understand. And I do cover lots of childhood nutrition and topics in there as well. How did you look after your own well-being? Because I know those chunks that you were talking about, nap time, evenings, that's actually when I try to do something for me, whether it's a short meditation or just calling a friend. And it sounds like while you were pouring all of your love and energy into that book and Zachary how did you keep yourself topped up in all honesty I wasn't great at it and I have to say I wouldn't encourage anybody else to do what I've actually done in the way I did it because I only identified that I wasn't okay probably when Zachary was around 15 months and sought therapy out I think I'd neglected so much of my own self-care. We were living in times where at that point, you know, the work was the income, work really mattered. And I had to, in a way, come last. I mean, you know, we didn't know when the next job was coming in. It was a very strange time during the pandemic. And I thought, well, I've got this opportunity to do this book. You know, this is the opportunity. This will help my son in the future. It's these types of things that were going through my head. So in all honesty, I didn't, but I had to pay the consequences later on by seeking out therapy and support for my mental health because I did neglect it. And it is an important thing that all mothers, I think, in that crucial first year especially, just need as much support as possible. You're right, though, to bring up that real tension point. Yeah. There's almost this triangle, isn't there? You know, I know I've got to look after myself. I also have to look after my children or child. That's non-negotiable. And I have to keep earning money because if you're self-employed, which, you know, a significant amount of mothers are, we're not on the maternity pay. You know, and there's a mortgage to pay, right? So I think it's such a powerful point that you bring up. What did you learn from that experience that anyone listening, maybe going through the same thing could take from it? I think I've really, really learned that if you don't take care of yourself, it's such a cliche thing to say. It's really hard to pour from an empty cup. And my relationship was impacted with my husband. We weren't spending any time really together. And those sorts of areas are what holds you together. Perhaps if you're a single mother, wow, I mean, how do you do it? But you need the support. And if you push your support network away because you bury your head in the sand I think everything becomes harder so I really learned that I needed to pick up the phone more and I think the pandemic really showed us all that we needed to stay connected more than ever before and it's very easy when you're a new mum you just don't think anybody else could understand or they've got their problems I don't want to offload anything on them I'm very lucky in life my biggest thing that I've identified in therapy is I kept saying, well, I'm very privileged. I'm very lucky. I've got these opportunities. I can't complain. Whereas what I should have done, so to anyone listening, is even if you think that people are worse off, there probably are people worse off, but your feelings are valid. So you should definitely reach out and speak to somebody else because that's something I should have done a lot more of. And now that you're sort of emerging through the other side of that... You shared that you're having therapy. Thank you for sharing that so honestly. What are some of the other things that you can see now, having got that support, that you're doing differently? Oh, so much. So, so much. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm very honest about the therapy component because I think that 
most mums should have the right to therapy. I wish it was something that was just offered. 100%. It's identifying and learning about yourself, which changes everything about your entire day. So even being able to understand why you feel rage or why you feel sadness. A lot of women, I think, are ashamed to say that they may feel these emotions. And I know that I definitely had no idea that I was going through a dark time and I only received a diagnosis of PTSD from my birth when I went to therapy. So I'd let this go on for so long. And you can seem so sorted on the outside to everybody else. But unless you know what's going on and you can look at yourself and read yourself, it's very difficult. So now what I definitely, definitely do differently is ask for time. I make sure that even when I've got my childcare my business has to come second sometimes to my mental health. I have to turn things down and I understand the financial pressures, even if it's just half an hour before I go to bed or I go and have a bath now instead of sitting on my emails or sitting downstairs watching a TV show I'm not really that interested in. I think, no, I just need this time just to be with my thoughts and feelings. And journaling, I think, is really helpful before bed as well. That's something I would recommend. Are you free writing or do you have a specific set of questions? How do you do it? I'm a free writer type of journaling. It's funny because I think it's because the rest of my life is so structured. I also think as a scientist, you know, everything for me is structured in life. And this is about my emotions and my feelings every day. Even sometimes it might just be a bullet point I write down with how I felt that day. So tired is often on there tired, low energy, or some days the sun was out and I felt great or reflecting on gratitude a lot of the time. Even tiny things like Zachary picked up my son, you know, a leaf and he loved the crunch of it today. I write anything and everything that comes into my mind. And it's nice just to have that there because you wake up the next day, you look at how you felt and you don't feel the same a lot of the time, especially if it was negative. Yeah. I think you've touched on such an important point, which, you know, I guess mother kind is about really is space even if it's five minutes or two minutes or 10 minutes, or as you've said, you know, the luxury of half an hour bath, and that's something Mm -hmm. that I do as well. I think without that space, it is incredibly difficult to start to untangle the really complex thoughts and feelings that can come up when we become mothers, you know, and obviously way beyond. I think just taking that two minutes, but like you've shared, getting there can be a sort of journey in itself, right? Learning to ask for the help, and valuing ourselves enough. Oh, yeah. I think that's the big thing. Do you value yourself? And I feel you do lose your identity when you become a mum because you're different now. Your brain structurally changes when you become a mum, especially if you have been through a birth trauma. Your amygdala, the part of your brain that processes memories and threats, and it becomes heightened and you become hypervigilant. And most new mums will have changed the structural component of their brain. So technically, you are not the same person anymore. Learning to identify and understand that makes everything so much easier because if you think well yes it's okay to feel like this I can be at peace with the fact I feel like this because I'm a mother now and you said space so rightly because it's like you're expected to do so much and I know you talk about this a lot but women are expected to run the home to look after the children still we're in this very strange situation but we're equal so we go out to work and we we literally do everything and I don't want to sound too sexist because of course there'll be fathers that do that too and partners and other people involved in raising children but ultimately it's a lot to juggle and it's getting to grips with the new person that I think that you've become overnight with no respite once you've just had a baby 
It's crazy, isn't it? And, you know, you're really right to pull that out. And the statistics show us, you know, that women are doing 60 to 70% of the invisible labour in the home. And yet we're working way more than we ever had in history up to this point, which is, as you say, incredible. These opportunities that we have now that, you know, weren't there 100 years ago, but the structures in the home haven't caught up. I really think we're going to look back on our generation of mothers and just think, oh my (laughs) God, because we are literally... And then you throw a pandemic into the mix. Sometimes I think it's just a miracle that as mothers, we just kept showing up. Yeah, it's obviously that biological drive. I mean, the love that you have for your child and the drive just to see them smile and just be happy every day. We do just show up. I mean, this is not an area that I'm an expert in at all, but I would like to see more of a shift in the responsibilities on the partners in society as well, because I do feel like, you know, if your child's sick, who's called up? The mother. You know, flexible working hours, I know there's a lot of talk about that at the moment. I know Anna's doing a lot of talk about that, and it's really important. But we are the guinea pig generation of women that are equal, well, in most cases, still a long way to go, but we're having to do it all. And I don't know, yeah, what will happen in the future. I think you're right. It's interesting. There should be How, studies on it. Well, yeah, there are, but it's they're pretty doom and gloom, to be honest. <laughs> How did you juggle that with your husband? You know, new baby pandemic. I know that you sharing, you're sort of trying to write this book. What did you learn about your relationship and how did you manage that? Because I'm always asked that question. I mean, my memories of the early days of the pandemic, I was very fortunate that I was just besotted with my son from the moment he was born. And I know that that doesn't happen for so many people. Yeah, you're lucky. So yeah, I'm very grateful for that. We actually had a very difficult time. It was an eight day hospital stay. My husband couldn't meet him until he was five days old because of the pandemic. Yes, I was so sorry. And it's only now I can talk about it without crying because of the therapy. So every time I would try and have these conversations, I would just bawl my eyes out, which goes to show, I think that whole time, it was a scary place. The labour wards were scary. There were no health visitors. You were suddenly at home where you were scared to go to the supermarkets. You know, you didn't want to catch anything and bring it home to your baby. So for my husband and I at that time post baby it was very much like you're in survival mode we felt like it was an apocalypse (laughs) to sound dramatic no you're right yeah we were living in this Netflix documentary that was terrifying like the end of the world and we just had each other so in a way it helped us pull together really strongly as a unit he was working from home which actually drove me cuckoo because he was constantly on meetings and he couldn't take any paternity leave because of the pandemic. We just didn't know what was happening. So we needed the income. We we're in a flat and we wanted to move out eventually. It was temporary. We just had a baby. All our stuff was in storage. We, it was just a bit chaotic. I'd lost all of my work within 48 hours, brand deals from nutrition and the clinic. I wasn't sure what was going on. It was stressful, but we were by ourselves. So we were in this little bubble, you know, parents couldn't come and visit. It was a very strange time for pandemic months. And we were April 2020. So it was literally where the death tolls were on the news every day, which I shouldn't have watched in hindsight. But how we pulled together, I think it was just a unique situation, if I'm being honest. And I did experience feelings of rage and sadness, which I didn't know were linked to the PTSD, but that I channeled to my husband. So we did go through that. We went through raging arguments. You know, if he didn't do something that I felt was right for my son, I'd get really angry and I I wouldn't be able to understand why I'd be so angry at him. And now I know it's all psychologically linked to birth trauma 
and the COVID situation, I was just so scared and still am of COVID. In a way, he was a saint <laughs> looking back. We did have rows, but I think what's really helped is pulling together because you have to survive and the love for our son. And we also went to therapy together when I went first time. And then we both realized, oh, look what we've been through. So actually having someone external talk to you both also helped us validate our feelings back in that year. But we've been together 11 years. So I think it's also different because we've just grown together for so long. I think I was just reflecting on, you know, just how hard it has been for pandemic mums. You know, I was lucky in some ways because Rose was four months. So I had got through that early fourth trimester. You know, I often feel anxious and overwhelmed. And, you know, I'd got through that before it hit. I think just to hear you describing, you know, being stuck in the hospital and feeling so unsafe and then coming home and worrying about going to the supermarket is just... And I think what's fascinating and what is so wonderful that you got yourself and you were able to get yourself the support that you needed, which unfortunately is just not available to everyone is that validation so if anyone's listening I think just hearing you know what we're saying is just to recognize what you've been through is such a powerful first step isn't it so powerful I urge anybody listening and I know I am privileged to be able to afford to seek out therapy myself I know the NHS services are stretched and that's why I didn't receive help in the first year I sought it out myself but just speaking to someone else maybe you know another pandemic mum and you can just have a good heart to heart once you do understand that what you went through was doesn't matter if your baby was four months old doesn't matter if they were six months old the pandemic took away everything for mums and it was really difficult so your feelings are so valid I did some research in the middle of the pandemic, so like June time, the middle of the first bit, and the results were just absolutely staggering, like 93% of mums saying that they felt stressed or very stressed. I mean, basically everyone. Babies weren't getting diagnosed they need. My tongue tie of my son was identified via Instagram at week eight because I was able to use my Instagram platform to reach out to a feeding specialist and show a video. If I didn't have access, imagine how many women didn't get tongue ties picked up on will have affected their breastfeeding journey. All these factors, rashes or skin allergies, cow's milk protein allergies, so much that can happen with babies in those early days. And so many mums went unheard in silence. For me, it's just heartbreaking. So there's a lot. Women dealt with so much, I think, in that year. 2020 was really hard. Unbelievably hard, you know, and still is. Yes, still is. It still hasn't recovered. In fact, a lot of our clients in the nutrition clinic. So one of the areas that actually took off for me during the pandemic, I found it hard to manage was my clinic. It's always been quite busy, but really sadly so the eating disorder side skyrocketed. I had to hire three new eating disorder dietitians to cope with the demand during the pandemic, move my clinic from Harley Street to online virtual. I was just trying to get as much freelance support to help deal with the demand of the cases that were surging. We had mums that were trying to call to get, you know, information about the weaning process with their children. It was, and still is actually in that domain with the psychological aspects of food, huge. There's so many areas, I think, in terms of health and wellness and nutrition and children that just need to be dealt with. There's a backlog, major backlog. Why was that, do you think? 
what were the root causes of some of maybe someone having a propensity to, I guess, under eat or overeat or binge or any of the variations? Yeah. Which there are many. Yeah. What was it, do you think, that pandemic really sort of heightened that and you saw that increase in demand? It's coping. How do we cope in society? And actually, I've always tried to speak about this in a way that actually we're quite clever that we turn to food. So there's one way of looking at disordered eating, I'll say, rather than having a fully fledged eating disorder, is that you found a way to cope with a situation. It might serve you for this time if you can move on from it. The problem when it doesn't serve you any longer is when it becomes a fully fledged psychological illness that impacts your day-to-day life and your health, which it can very quickly spiral into. Some people are predisposed in their neurology. If there's a switch that's just switched on from a diet or a control mechanism with food that it can turn into any spectrum of eating disorder. So it's definitely, you know, overeating, undereating was huge during the pandemic. What could everybody turn to? There was nothing else. You can't go anywhere. The only thing that could bring joy, because food, I'm going off on my nutrition tangent, but food is a spectrum of emotions, isn't it? You celebrate with it. You grieve with it. It meets so many feelings and thoughts. And that's why food becomes such a paramount focus in the pandemic, I think. Well, we lost control over so much else. And I guess what you're eating or not eating is one area that you can get control and you're absolutely right. It's about safety as well, isn't it? Control often helps us to feel safe. So I'm not surprised to hear that at all. You mentioned there mum sort of calling up for weaning advice because you would have weaned Zachary through the pandemic as well. (laughs) How did you find that journey? Did you feel pressure because of what you do to do it sort of a certain way or were you able to just lower your expectations I think I looked at it as I just wanted to help and give back to the support that I'd received online when I had Zachary. I felt like I had an overwhelming amount of lovely messages from fellow mums. That's the one nice side of social media. Obviously, there's the negative side and the judgment that you get being a mother, which absolutely sucks. But from the weaning perspective and doing that, Obviously, I was a little bit scared. And I think my advice, because any mother is, when you introduce a food, the worst case scenario is an allergy, which is terrifying for parents. So the advice was who was in your support bubble. So I had one of my friends in my support bubble who didn't live far. And she came on like the first week when I was introducing foods just to be there with me. Because at six months, my husband had already gone back in a few days into the office and I was pretty much alone at home with my son. So we did a veg first, you know, veg led weaning approach. And we did, you know, broccoli was his first food, still is his favorite vegetable. Yeah, figures. It's just the way it seems to go. I do think there's a huge success rate with introducing vegetables first compared to the traditional fruit, which I tend to find in the clinic PRA. But then there are situations where it has to be introduced early. You know, there are medical reasons why babies have to wean early and then fruit purees and baby rice might be the best method. So it really is each situation is unique. But I did share that journey online and I found it really great. And I think a lot of people found it very helpful, actually. So how do you do it? You know, how do you think what do you do next? And I had a little blackboard where I got a bit of fun with some chalk and I would draw the little vegetables that Zachary would try each day and I'd tick it off. And in fact, the only one he didn't like at the time was asparagus. And come to think of it, I never ate asparagus during my pregnancy and I don't really like it very much either. So 
they get a taste in the womb of certain flavors, you know, especially bitter ones or things like vanilla has been researched or orange juice from the amniotic fluid. And research does suggest that babies will be more predisposed to eating those foods when they're born anyway, because you ate it when you were pregnant. I love weaning. I think it's fascinating, but it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of blending and steaming. I had a blender and steamer. That's the best purchase I think I ever made made my life 10 times easier. Yeah, I did as well. And what about now? Do you cook the same sort of meal for your family and are you cooking fresh every day or are there certain shortcuts that you can share with us? Hoping there are, because this is something that I struggle with. Like, oh, I'm not that into cooking. Like my yeah. husband enjoys it. It's how he'll wind down. He doesn't do it every day like me. So for me, I'm like, right, another meal. Always in my head is like, I've got to try and get some veggies in these damn kids who don't like them how am I gonna do that it's a lot of pressure do you know what it is time consuming and there is a hell of a lot of pressure and there's no skirting around the fact that it is time consuming thankfully there are loads of options now out there and there are certain companies that if anybody's in the stage I am the toddler stage you can buy these meals that are made at home one amazing brand's called mama made and um, little dish and I've looked at the nutritionals. They're spot on. I mean, I'm not going to... Okay, that's good to yeah. know because I'm always a bit like, mm, yeah. Because do they have extra salt or extra sugar? Well, I can vouch for the mama made ones, which I use exactly. They do not. And I don't have time to make red pepper polenta fingers or kale pesto pasta salad, you know, every other day get my blender out and make a kale pesto. No, I don't. And that's the truth of the matter. So I make sure that my freezer is always stocked with a few of his favorite go-tos. So I make a big cauliflower cheese with all the cauliflower leaves. I put in the leaves as well and the, the stalks and broccoli and peas and I blend it all up with the cheese and it doesn't change the color that much with the cauliflower mac and cheese. So that's a really good idea. And then I freeze it in lunch boxes. I'm one of those that writes on the lunch boxes what the meal is. So in the freezer, it's there's my stack of collie mac and cheese. <laughs> I know it's not for everyone. That's my little um, organized part of my life, which is rare. And I'll have go-to favorites in the freezer. So a lot of the time for my son, I'm not actually cooking from scratch on the day that he eats that actual food because I'm getting things on out the night before for the next day. Obviously, breakfast every morning is fresh. We'll have a variety and I'll mix it up from porridge to pancakes to Weetabix or shreddies, whatever's in the cupboard. And I also blend a mix of nuts and seeds and keep it in a large jar airtight. So I can always add that to the cereal each morning. So it's, you're able to get nutrition in. You've just got to do one weekend of maybe two hours of organizing, maybe when they're in bed, and then it sets you up. For the week, we're not at the stage yet where we always eat together because of his times, you know, 10, 45, 11 is lunch. And sadly, at that time, I'm not always going to be eating lunch, although sometimes I do. <laughs> and then another lunch, that's what I do. I'm like, I'll have tea with the kids at five yeah. and then sometimes dinner again with Guy at eight. <laughs> this is just it. And I think preserving your relationship aspect. So I wait for my husband to come home most nights and we do dinner together in the evening when my son's asleep. But at the weekends, we'll try and eat together at five and we'll do something nice. So that's when we tend to do family meals together. I think what you've just done is, you know, so many people look up to you from a, obviously from a nutritional perspective. And what you've just shared, I think has just going to help so many people Good. just to take the pressure off, yeah. just to take the pressure off. Cause I've got a really fussy eater 
Jesse, who's nearly six. And I'll tell you what, it's like a daily grind. Like, how can I hide a bit more vegetables in this? And, you know, recently, just been giving myself a bit of an easier ride with it and just giving her the foods that she will eat. They're not terrible. You know, it's not like pizza and chips every night. It is some nights, but not every night. It's made it much more enjoyable because she just rejects it. And I try and keep making her try because her little sister, Rose, who's to the pandemic baby, she'll eat anything. So I sort of try and take a little bit of one plate and put it on the other. But yeah, it is just that cognitive, invisible it is. extra stress that typically the woman holds. It's the pressure. And I think also children pick up on pressure. So the worst thing you can do It goes against everything you want to do. You want your child to eat veg. You want them to eat well. But if you're placing pressure, they'll pick up on it and they will lean. You're just pushing them further and further away from eating. So like sometimes you just have to let go and put an enjoyed item on the plate with a little bit of the other stuff you want them to eat. Keep the meals smaller than you actually think they need to be because you can always put more on the plate if they eat it. I think that's a tip for parents. Often they fill the plate. I know there's phases where they need the variety, but most of the time it's keeping it quite small. And every child is fussy. There is not one child that will be a perfect eater throughout their entire lives. You know, I get days if it makes people feel better where my son refuses to eat dinner completely and I end up just giving him a baby bell or whatever I can find, a banana in the fridge, you know, and his dinner is terrible. You have to follow their lead and remember the supplements. So vitamin D is crucial for children, especially under the age of five all year round, apart from if formula fed babies is the exception to that because you've got the formula in 500 mils. But you know, you're giving them the supplements and don't underestimate pizza, Zoe, because pizza flour is fortified with calcium and iron. So to make a pizza base anyway, then you've got tomato, rich source of lycopene, vitamin C, you'll have cheese, which is protein, calcium again, phosphorus, B vitamins, B12. Maybe you can get some peas on that pizza or whatever veg might be on that pizza. That's a balanced meal. So it's not as bad as you think. It's just the salt if it's shop bought that you need to be wary of. Yeah, they are shop bought. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good point. Maybe I could like get some of that dough, right? You can ready make Mm -hmm. the dough. Yes. Yes. Check the salt and sugar and then do that. That's a good idea. Pizzas aren't that bad. And then there's other items like even eggy bread, such a classic. There's nothing wrong with serving up eggy bread. And I used to mix for anyone with the younger eaters pouches in with the egg and you can blend the veggie pouch and then soak it in the egg. And then you've got a little bit more nutrition in the eggy bread. Are there any other things like that? Quick tips and things to absolutely avoid. You've mentioned salt and sugar already. No, yeah, no sugar under the age of two is the recommendation. It's tough because a lot of children's snacks have them in and you don't actually realise because even fruit puree counts as a free sugar and fruit concentrate. So it's not actually great to have loads of items with these in. And I think dried fruit is another one to be really wary of with tooth decay. You shouldn't be snacking on dried fruit under the age of five. Yeah, there's all these things. that. So why are there so many mini packets of raisins marketed to us all? Well, that's exactly it. You know, it's interesting. My nanny, bless her, she bought home a big bag of raisins. I've got these raisins for Zachary. I was like, I'm really sorry, but I can't give him those because, you know, X, Y, Z. And I explained that a quarter of children now in the UK have tooth decay at the age of five. And it doesn't have to be that way. The food industry has a lot to answer for. That's a whole other Subject, but be wary of those types of items if you can. And yogurts, extra sugary yogurts also are the main culprit. 
what we tend to do if you have time is if you've got any leftover bananas I just mash it up with the Greek yogurt at home and then you give it the next day you know that kind of thing it's really tasty but ultimately it's variety and I don't want to scaremonger anyone because so what if your child goes out and has fish and chips with you one day it's not the end of the world as long as that's not every day fine they may have more salt and they might need more water that day but it's not going to impact their health if you let them enjoy a variety of foods it's going to only help their relationship with food and you know you can't demonize things completely it's all about letting them try but not making it a regular habit yeah the sugar thing is hard because with the age gap that I've got as well oh, so see the six-year-old is sort of coming home with a piece of birthday cake from a party yeah. for example and then Rose wants a bit I started doing this thing where I'd say, okay, Jesse, you go and have your cake in the playroom and I'll keep, and then I was like, hang on a minute. I'm basically setting up <laughs> secret eating of sugar. And I had like, <laughs> I was trying not to project forward and I was like, I'm not sure this is the best idea. Do you know what? If you um, overanalyze it too much equally as a parent, just you can't win. And it's all very well for me with my nutritionist hat on to say these things, but I understand that I actually think an overall child's relationship with food is far more important sometimes than having a bit too much sugar. Well, this is it. I was like, I'm not sure I should be like banishing her to have, you know, these little treats because she's six. I let her have. So now I just give Rose, who's two, a tiny bit. She always wants more, but I'm like, no, that's it. But two plus, they can have 13 grams of sugar. So, you know, they can have it from the age of two onwards anyway. And it's not the end of the world. I think that's really reassuring what you say is just positive relationship. Sounds like there's nothing that's like, you know, major other than maybe fish and chips every single day for every single meal wouldn't be ideal. (laughs) But I think I just love your message. It's so reassuring and helpful. It's more Um, that they don't brush their teeth. I'm having a nightmare with my son. I play the Hey Dougie toothbrush song on YouTube. And he likes it. I'm like, can you copy what they're doing? And trying to get near his mouth and they bat the toothbrush away. So that's the battle. It's That is hugely stressful. I've oh. actually got a wonderful friend. She is incredibly spiritual. She's a Buddhist. She's like amazing. But she said to me the other day, my only goal for bedtime is that I don't snap the toothbrush. Because <laughs> she gets so angry. And this woman like meditates an hour a day. And she gets so mad because she says she'll be trying to brush her son's teeth for like hours. And she's like, <laughs> she goes, my only goal is that I don't break another toothbrush. <laughs> oh my goodness. Don't want to be in that house in the evening. <laughs> I know. I know. She's a solo mum as well. It's just, oh, oh bless her. I really get it. But it's one yeah. of those things, as you say, it's not one of those things that we can just go, oh, well, because it does have a consequence. I'm really struggling with those little things about motherhood. It's the responsibility of just brushing my son's teeth just seems to be bigger than everything else. Okay, he's not changed perfectly one day. Who cares? But his teeth, yes, I really care. So the Hey Dougie song, any other tips? What, for teeth brushing? I mean... (laughs) I used to sing that this is the way we brush shutty, yeah. brush shut, you know, I've been there, I've done all that. Ultimately, I think Hey Doug is the most effective and it's once he gets out of the bath, he can watch that and have the toothbrush in his hands and occasionally I can grab it and, you know, try myself to get around his mouth whilst I'm doing the moisturising and getting him into his robe. So I think it's just, it gets better as it gets older, I'm told. We've got a long while to go as well, because I think children, we have to brush their teeth until they're seven or eight. No. Yes, I think. I'm not an expert. Someone will tell us. It's not that they get to three and we can sort of hand that over to them. We have to be doing it for a while. Oh my goodness. See, responsibility. Responsibility is hard. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is. It is really hard. And I wanted to touch on while I've got you, our nutrition. Isn't it interesting how we talked about child's nutrition first? Gosh, these really subtle ways that we just kind of push ourselves down a bit. I wanted to ask you about energy management yes. from yes. a nutrition, you know, and broader perspective. Yeah. If there's anything that we could do. I did an episode once called Easy Nutrition for Busy Mums, and it was one of my most popular ever. So I know that people are super interested in this. Yes. And it's a good topic because, again, I'm not going to sugarcoat how hard it is when you're a parent to find time to cook well for yourself. It's about hacks and it's understanding first how to get more energy from your diet, which purely is eating balanced meals. Don't cut the carbs out, just get the right carbs and the right portions. So there's a lot of talk about fasting and all these crazy kind of things at the moment in the media. Whereas in reality, unless you're not hungry in the morning, most parents are going to need that fuel first thing and should try and eat breakfast with their child. That's the big tip to start the day. So think carbs, protein, fat, and veg or fruit at every meal. Porridge is such a winner. If you've got toast, don't just put butter and marmite on it. You've got no protein there whatsoever. You've got the carbs. You need to slow the release of the sugars from the bread into your bloodstream. So add some nut butter instead, which will have a bit of fat and protein in it. It's very easy. Nut butter, banana, bread, bingo. Lovely, tasty combination. It's about getting those balanced plates in. So meals, really basic things. If you've got a wrap, a whole grain wrap, just stir fry up some beans very quickly. And you can even buy a bag of, it's not great for the environment, which I'll discuss in a bit. But I think that convenience and frozen items from your fridge, like you've got frozen pre-chopped onions that you can get these days. Tins of sweet corn are really effective and any leftover vegetables from your child's dinner because let's face it we cook food for our kids that is often really healthy you may have loads of leftover peas and sweet corn broccoli and courgettes use the leftovers there and throw it into a stir fry that evening and then put it in a wrap and make a burrito with some cheese and it's absolutely delicious so a lot of the time I think there's so much food waste in households especially from our children when they decide not to eat a whole meal you can blitz that up into something else for yourself if you can stomach it depending what it is of course I think the biggest mistake we make eating well as mums is sometimes it's just the restriction is best mindset, which is not true. You you don't have to just eat a soup because it's winter. Soup, you know, is not going to fulfill you in that moment. And it can be a great way of using up veg from the fridge and having meals that will last, you know, if you make a big vat of it. But if it's not going to sustain you, you need to have some bread with it or you need to add some grains to it. Why don't you throw some quinoa or some rice into your soup? bulk it up and this is more affordable it's cheaper it's cost effective and it will give you more energy so energy comes from b vitamins b12 which we get from our protein working all together alongside glucose from our carbohydrates so you need these combined perfectly to get through our blood brain barrier because only carbs can get through and that in turn feeds our brain because our brain can only run off glucose It can't run off fats and proteins. It's just carbs, which is why people feel moody, you know, when you give up the carbs, you feel low in energy, that sort of thing. But it's not the pastries and it's not the biscuits. It's the whole grain pasta and the potatoes that, you know, it's the fiber rich foods that feed your gut microbiome. I'm trying to think of quick and easy hacks now. So utilize your freezer. I call it like a kitchen detox. Make sure your cupboards have got cans of beans and pulses 
amazing go-tos for plant-based protein and iron. Remember iron is in chickpeas as well. Iron gives you energy. So many women don't get enough iron. If you're around that menstruation time periods as well, hormonal fluctuations, you need to be getting iron. And it's not just in red meat, it's, it's in lots of other items as well. Then pastas always have a whole grain carb cupboard with all sorts of things you can chuck in and don't be scared of ready meals, which you'd probably be surprised to hear me say, but there are some good ones out there now. Loads of them, all plants is one. And there's this green chef and mindful chef actually deliver things you can cook at home very quickly. So if that's affordable for you, don't be scared of them. Sometimes they're a lifeline. You'll get more veg in that way than you would have done just having a really basic plain pasta, you may have quickly made with cheese. Yeah, that's so helpful, some of those, because so many mums that I speak to will cook amazing meals for their kids and then they'll have a bowl of special K for their supper. Yeah, They're just so knackered by the time they've done bedtime. It might be nine o'clock, they're exhausted. I mean, I've done it. And then you're just like, I'm just going to have a slice of toast and some cereal because I can't be bothered. So I think some of those really simple tips, particularly, I'm going to do that using the kids' veg leftovers. Make it into something you love. So burritos are my favourite just because I personally love burritos. It's such a classic. It's so comforting, isn't it? That cheesy rat face. But you can also blend up the leftovers into a sauce and then add that to your pasta in the evening if that's your quick thing. You know, it's so easy to just add a can of tomatoes to any leftovers and blitz it. And it's just a tomato-y sauce, which you can use. Or use those leftovers again and you could do a tray bake. So... You don't even have to cook that. You just chop it, chuck it all in the oven to roast, add whatever's left and then add a bit of protein. Like could be veggie sausages you're chucking in the oven or boiled egg. You could have a tray bake with some eggs. Just chuck Mm. them on the top and yeah, it's go-tos. But if it's late, I do understand. I've been there, bowls of cereal in the evening. It's not the end of the world sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we just keep it really easy for ourselves, don't we? Not all the time. (laughs) I I wanted to mention, you mentioned the environment. Another thing to add on to our... I know. <laughs> Isn't it terrifying? Do you not find the world at the moment is in this absolutely... I speak about this a lot in therapy. It's just terrifying. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. I feel so drawn about this when I talk about it because I don't want to feel like anyone else has another thing to worry about, another to pressure to put on. You know, we've yeah. already holding, as we were describing as mums, just so much. But the reality is we are in a situation where we all have to start doing a bit more. Yeah. Or a bit less, depending on you know, which way we look at it. So you talked about the convenience of prepackaged, but being mindful about the sustainability impact of that. And I also wanted to talk to you about meat consumption, which yes. I know is a big thing and a really effective way that we can start to help as well. So can you talk to that? I think the reason that it's difficult is also because it's emotive. I think that this topic with the environment affects people on different levels culturally what's traditional in your society or your household, you know, norms that you've created. So it can be a very triggering conversation as well. But the reality is we have the power to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by up to 30% by changing our diets, which is huge globally. If everybody were just to reduce their meat consumption we would be onto a winner. Fish in the UK isn't so much of a problem because it's not as popular, believe it or not. My nutritionist hat says we need to consume more fish if you eat fish because it's really good for you to get one portion of oily fish a week for your omegas. However, the sustainability side says you can get that from supplements, you know, algae-based supplements, if you can afford to do that. And we need to stop consuming as much for the ocean so that there's 
a huge, huge scientist debate at the moment in the scientific community over how we approach this, because obviously at some parts of the world, they only have their cow in their back garden to give them their cheese and their milk and the, you know, the meat is the, it's the only thing people have. But we have to face the reality, the harsh reality in the UK for a lot of people, not for everybody, but for most people that are able to afford to buy meat. Meat is now more expensive than buying plant-based items from cooking from scratch. Meat costs more to manufacture, it costs more plastic to be kept and preserved. It's not good for the environment. And ultimately, if you're eating meat every single day of the week, you can make a change. Now, like you, I'm very divided here between wanting a healthy family to eat well and get nutrition from meat, which is really valuable, versus we have to do something to help with climate change. So the easiest thing is to start with a meat-free Monday. Just start small and work your way up as a family. If you are traditionally the family that will even have meat three times a day, you know, maybe you have bacon or something in the morning and then you have a burger in the evening or you're having chicken stir fry or chicken curry or chicken everything, tagine, you know, if you're that type of family, then try and just switch very, very slow. So maybe go to eggs instead of chicken, first of all, as a kind of small compromise or a cheese-based thing. And then try these meat alternatives, which there's also a lot of debate around because of the salt factor and the processing. But actually, I think they're a lifeline for making these changes if it's very new to you. I think they're amazing to have a veggie sausage instead of a meat sausage. You're getting more fiber depending on the sausage, which is great for your health. You'll still be getting protein and you're not getting hardly any saturated fat which is one of the biggest causes to heart disease in this country, which is still the biggest killer for women. So if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. We reduce meat consumption anyway. It's just getting these alternatives in. You will save money. If you were to use a can of beans in your chili instead of beef mints or you know, lentils, you can even buy mixed bean salads. It's like 60p for a can versus a £5.50 for a pack of beef or something that you could end up buying. It's difficult. The overwhelming message is plant-based is not vegan, remember. So veganism means no animal products at all, not even honey, things that are related to it. But plant-based just means reduce it. Just cut it down. Just do meat-free Monday is a good start. And then try and make a plant-based dish at the weekend. I've got loads of recipes on nutrition.com. And in the Science of Nutrition, the new book, it's out December 30th. I've got a whole section on sustainability and how to start making these small swaps because it's not actually that complicated cooking plant-based. It's actually really easy once you get creative. Like I mentioned, black bean burritos or something like that for dinner. Kids love that kind of stuff as well. Like it's not tasty. It's just the stir fries where chicken is such a big factor because people don't enjoy eating the veg. They just eat it because it's there with the chicken, which is why these meat replacements come in. They're quite handy because they offer flavor for people that are not used to just eating vegetables on the plate. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. Thank you. And if anyone is wanting to reduce their meat for themselves and their children, are there any supplements that children would need from reducing the meat? Good question. 
Initially, no, if you're just reducing, you know, a couple of meals a week here and there, because believe it or not, if you're eating red meat once a week, that's enough for a week of iron or more. That gives you stores for quite a long time. You don't need to be consuming it so frequently to keep levels topped up unless you're anemic or predisposed to an iron deficiency. That's a whole different ballgame. But with B12, which I know is a big concern for people when they think about plant-based, it's confused with veganism. You still get B12 from milk if you consume milk, if you consume cheese, if you consume eggs or occasional fish, you'll be getting enough. So I wouldn't actually worry about supplementation unless you are going completely vegan. Thank you. I think everyone's just going to be like, okay, great. Let's make a veggie tray bake tonight. That's what I do. You'll cut like pounds off your shopping bill. I just chop up a load of veggies and then we put some halloumi on top. Perfect. It is absolutely delicious. It's so nice. I don't think I could make it nicer with anything else, to be honest. It's so Honestly, cheese. Uh, See, I would personally have a problem eliminating cheese because it's one of my favourite things. (laughs) I put cheese on everything. everything. Me too. (laughs) Even stir fries. I think when I was pregnant, I couldn't stomach things without cheese. Cheese had to be on everything. Cheesy toast, cheesy stir fries. (laughs) everywhere so yeah don't worry about it too much everybody listening just small changes will have big results and actually get your children used to it because I have to say the future is plant-based when it comes to the future of the state of the world and the more your children can get used to eating a few plant-based meals you're helping them in the long run that's great advice as well I always ask the same question at the end which you will know because you listen to the podcast (laughs) but if you could give all the mothers in the world just one gift what would it be and why So I was prepared for this, obviously, but now we've had this discussion, I'm just thinking, oh, one gift. It would be the gift of truth. And I know that's going to sound like a strange thing to say, but when I was thinking about it, I just thought, I don't think we see the truth because it's so blurred. Like we said at the beginning, I didn't see the truth. I didn't see who I was now as a mother. I didn't see what had actually happened to my life. I was blindsided trying to live in kind of a lie of, oh, I must get through every single day. I must do everything. I must. But the truth is you don't have to. And I think if every mother can see her own truth in her life, it could make things a bit easier and help you start to deal with it. So it's hard to get to that point. But if every mother were given that gift, I think it would help them so much. That is really beautiful. And no one has Mm. ever said that. Good. Well, I know it's not a material gift or a... um, It's beautiful. It's so true. If everyone could just see that truth for themselves. It's very difficult, I think, in society. There's so many external things that block it. And I don't have it all sussed, but that would be a great gift. Mm, That's beautiful. And thank you so much as ever for your honesty and wisdom. And I think you're just amazing the way you're able to take literally encyclopedic knowledge that you have literally (laughs) and condense it into such a practical bite-sized way for us so it's a real talent so thank you oh Zoe I've loved it thank you for having me So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on.